This is Kincaid and Breckenridge, News Talk 770, our Highlights podcast. It was another big night for Donald Trump on Tuesday. We spoke with our friend Charles Adler about what's going on. What is it about the American psyche in 2016, or at least the Republican-slash-conservative psyche, that Donald Trump, someone like Donald Trump, is just so appealing? And then we talked about the fact that they're making another uh, Indiana Jones movie, and I, Roger Kincaid, could not really keep it together during this segment. Thankfully, my very professional broadcasting friend Rob Breckenridge was able to keep it together uh, during the segment. Well, that guy. Listen to Kincaid and Breckenridge weekdays from 9.30 to 12.30 on News Talk 770. I'm Roger. That's Rob. People remember Pick-A-Pop, Rob. You just go in yeah, there and do. Pick, pick bottles of pop. Well, to me, I uh, see. I thought we were talking about the pop shop, which uh, I guess is something different. Which is what I remember, certainly from from my own childhood. But uh, this pick a pop, that uh, sounds all right too. Pick a pop, by the way, still exists. It's uh, in Marchand, Manitoba. Well, that could be Marchand, Manitoba. Marchand, Manitoba. This guy used to live in Manitoba. This was in Vancouver, <laughs> he did, didn't he? Hey, Charles Adler, welcome back to the show. Marchand. Marchand. Yeah, when I uh, lived in Manitoba, if I insisted on uh, pronouncing uh, French names the French way, um, you know, a bunch of bikers with Confederate <laughs> flags would ride over to the radio station and straighten me out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, that. You know, I'll tell you something. The, the town of Sault Ste. Marie would be impossible for most people to find on a map if you just told them, find Sault Ste. Marie. I can't. Yeah, people like the Espositos that, you know, they would always, uh, when I would interview them in the States, uh, they would talk about coming from the Sioux. <laughs> American colleagues and I. What is the Sioux? And I and I would I would spell it for them, and you know they would think that we were a, all a bunch of uh, crazy Scandinavians or something because nothing made any sense. Speaking of uh, northern countries, I don't know if you saw the uh, charts this morning, but the, the happiest country on earth is Denmark. Wow, what, what's going on over there? I don't know what's going on over there. I mean, they've got more darkness and more cold than we have, but uh, they must have something going on over there. It just seems most of the countries in the in the top ten are Nordic. We made number six, which is not bad, and, of course, we always compare ourselves to uh, the Yanks. Uh, we're number six. They're number 13, so Canada's back, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're making Canada great again is what we're trying to do here, Charles. So anyways. Yeah. <laughs> So what, what's going on down south there? Uh, what, Marco Rubio, uh, didn't he say, Rob, that uh, whoever wins the Florida primary is going to be the nominee, and it turned out that it's not him, it's this guy named Donald? Yeah, I don't, I don't think he meant Donald when he said it, but uh, Donald's kind of throwing it back in his face today. Imagine getting whooped that badly. I mean, he lost by about 20 points uh, in his own state. Now, you know, you always have to put a caveat on this, aside from the fact that there's uh, clearly Trump mania uh, going on. I don't know what else you'd want to call it. You were saying earlier on, on Twitter that you were going to ask me uh, to tell you whether or not Americans have gone mad. And I, I responded with, uh, you know, I, this is real pressure having to practice uh, mass psychiatry without a license. <laughs> but on the Florida thing, uh, Donald Trump thinks of Florida as his second home, and so do a lot of people in, in Palm Beach. So that takes away a little bit, just a little bit, uh, from the idea that uh, uh, he beat the homer. But Trump feels as much a Floridian as a lot of people do, and a lot of people do think of him as a Floridian because he, he probably spends more time in Palm Beach than he does in Manhattan. Interesting. So, you know, the thing about the the, the whole Trump mania or Trump mayhem, whatever, um, I think that this is, you know, I was talking over, over some good Alberta beef last night with some friends of mine that this is kind of like the product of 
how America has decided to conduct business for for hundreds of years. They've kind of like said, look inward, not outward. Our country's the greatest country. You don't need stuff from outside. Now we finally got a politician who comes along and says, what if politics was that way too? What if we slapped tariffs on stuff coming in from China? Or what if we just tried to say, hey, we're good enough as we are, keep everybody else out? It just sort of seems to me like uh, the ingredients have been there all along. Donald Trump is just kind of the cake, and people like you know, cake. You know, it's interesting. Uh, last night while we were uh, exchanging Twitters, and uh, you were telling me about how, you know, you want to buy me a beer, and, and I, I said, you know, I'm on a special diet right now. So I'd like to have some Glenlivet. That gave me an excuse to, you know, put up one of those beautiful Glenlivet tweets. Then you put on uh, uh, Kentucky bourbon. Anyway, yeah. we were having a, a good time. But where I'm going with this is when you're at a bar in the United States, uh, you know, the, the, the loudest guy at the bar sounds exactly like Donald Trump. And that's why sometimes uh, I feel that pundits get a little bit too deep into sort of academic country when they say things like uh, he doesn't really represent what most people in America feel or what most people in America are talking about. On the margins, obviously, uh, we're talking about the race, heavy-duty racism and misogyny. That isn't necessarily what Americans are talking about at the bar over bourbon or beer. But so much of this other stuff, the bread-and-butter stuff, I mean, that's, that's really what uh, brings him to the dance, the idea of creating new jobs and getting the jobs back from Mexico and back from China. I'm not suggesting he can do any of that. And I don't know how many Americans expect he can, but I think a lot of Americans give him credit for saying the kind of stuff that they do here at the bar and they do discuss at the kitchen table, regardless, regardless of, of how uh, much potential those outcomes have. Sometimes a guy simply gets a lot of credit for saying what a lot of people have been saying for years, as you've just said, uh, and saying what a lot of people are feeling in their hearts and people who are in the psychiatric area joking earlier about doing mass psychiatry you know psychiatrists will tell you that feelings aren't facts and that's absolutely true but politics are much more about feelings than they are about facts yeah there almost seems to be a, an insecurity right when donald trump talks about our country doesn't win anymore we need to start winning again that that obviously resonates. It, it, he's certainly tapped into something that there's a, a sentiment out there, and I don't know if it's exclusive to Republicans or not. Maybe we'll find out in the general election that, no, we, we don't win anymore. Why don't we win? Uh, we used to be great, and now we're not. That, that There seems to be that sentiment out there. Well, if you were just a, a regular middle-class person who can afford to take a plane once in a while, and if you do go to a third-world country, and that, too, has become such a, a slur, but the point is, if you go to a country that's much poorer than the United States, like a China, like an in India, like several in Europe, like several in Latin America, okay, so you're an American who's doing that, and you find out within moments of landing that the airport you've just landed in, in a so-called developing country or a poorer country, that airport runs a lot better than the airport you were using to take off. And then it goes on and on. You, you find out that the, the roads are better and the bridges are better. And you just get the impression uh, that you may be in the number one power, the number one economic power, and all that blah, blah. But it just feels like blah, blah. It feels like something is wrong. And when, when Donald Trump says, we're losing, we're losing, we're losing, we've got to win again, that is clearly something that people who, as I say, go to these other countries, they're feeling. I mean, here it is, the, the, the survey comes out, and uh, Denmark is number one, and America is number 13. And the average American looks at that, 
whether he or she is a Trump voter or not, and says, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. We're number 13. We may have been number one at one time, but we're not the number one anymore. And who knows, if things keep going the way they are, we won't be number 13. We'll be number 23 or number 33. And when you're raised to believe that you are the dominant power in the world and you know you've got the largest military and the largest economy, you begin to think at some point that something has gone haywire. Yeah, you know, interesting, as you, as you say that, it just occurred to me, by the way, that um, um, Denmark has politicians that say, keep Muslims out. And I think they've even got like an entire ad campaign uh, saying, hey, uh, you refugees, you don't want to come to Denmark. It's too hard a country to get by in. <laughs> Are you kidding yeah. me? I mean, they, they post it. I mean, Denmark is obviously yeah. a liberal socialist society, egalitarian, and all that, blah, blah. But, but Denmark has actually posted ads on Facebook. They purchased ads. <laughs> from Mark Zuckerberg's organization uh, to run in Middle, Middle Eastern countries, right? Yeah. Saying to, to people, um, we're, we're tapped out. <laughs> you know, sorry. Uh, uh, nothing personal, just business. Uh, we're running a country here, and uh, there's no more room for you. No, no, no room at the end tonight. What, what strikes me about the, the Donald Trump phenomenon, though, is, is not so much that Americans are saying, we want Donald Trump to be the president of the USA. It's that they're saying... Um, Washington need, needs to realign itself and understand where the commoners' priorities are. Uh, and I think that that's what a lot of people are kind of, in a way, saying, that they're, they're sick of the way that politicians talk and politicians try to appeal to them. But underneath it all, there is an actual legitimately humongous problem here in that governance is not serving its people as it's supposed to. Well, do you mind if I, I bring it home? You know, I used to say on the radio, Daddy wants to bring it home. Can I just bring this home to Canada for a moment? Well, yes, but we will not call you Daddy. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not asking for that. Okay, <laughs> okay. So let me let me just bring it home. Uh, we had an attack on on a military recruitment center uh, earlier this week in Canada. It happened in Toronto. Uh, look, uh, you have got to be highly motivated uh, to to find any kind of military facility. In Toronto, I mean, you know, finding finding a subway is easy, finding a cab is easy, uh, finding the airport after a few hours can be relatively easy. Finding a military facility is, is not easy. I don't want to do a, a, a rant on, on, on jihad right now. I, that, that's not what I'm interested in doing. I'm simply saying that for someone to do that, they know what they're doing. I'm not suggesting that I know exactly what's going on in their mind, but I do know that they are astute enough uh, to do some research to do some homework. I know what their motivation is. There's no doubt about that based on what he said, and I have no doubt that he understood the destination. He wasn't just randomly uh, doing what he was doing. He went to a specific place to attack our country. The prime minister of this country has said absolutely nothing about this on camera. He's doing selfies all over the world all the time. He's in New York right now doing selfies at the United Nations. He issued a tweet, or at least someone in his office issued a tweet. I think the country, when it's attacked, and that's what it is, that's not right-wing rhetoric, when you attack a military base in any country, you are attacking the country. So the country was attacked. I'm not suggesting it's 9-11, but the country was attacked, and the prime minister wouldn't even bother going on camera. Then we can talk about the economy. We can talk about pipelines being on hold for God knows how long. Uh, I'm living in B.C., and uh, the liquefied natural gas facility uh, that is a multi-billion dollar opportunity uh, is once again on hold. It's going to the Trudeau uh, cabinet. The point is 
that on things that really matter to people, like jobs, 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 their economic opportunity, or attacks on their military, the Prime Minister is basically in a parallel universe. He's at the United Nations today, uh, probably offering them billions of dollars so that someday Canada can sit on the Security Council again so Canada can be back. I don't care whether you're listening to this in, in, in Calgary or Red Deer or, or Lethbridge. I don't care what class you are, upper class, middle class, lower class. I don't give a damn about any of that. If you're a real person, I know you are, because otherwise you wouldn't be listening to this. You're asking yourself, what planet are these guys on? And the Americans are doing the same thing. So I'm, I'm just suggesting to you that regardless of what many of the pundits and many of the academics say about Trudeau, and about uh, various things that are going on in the United States. Sometimes those folks are as out of touch as possible. I'm not suggesting this as some kind of anti-mind person or anti-intellectual. I'm not doing populism. I have many of these people on my shows on Sirius XM. I'm simply saying that every now and then uh, we ought to just... I think, uh, take a pause, take a deep breath, and ask ourselves whether there isn't something going on here. And the something going on is the people who have power are out of sync with the powerless. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, you go back to the, to the Paris attack. When you talk about the, that other level of insecurity, the, the feeling that we're vulnerable, the feeling that we're not uh, taking our enemies seriously, when, when the Paris attacks happened... There were a lot of political observers in the United States, and they said, look, this is going to benefit Donald Trump tremendously. And if you don't understand how that's going to benefit Donald Trump, then you don't really understand uh, the American psyche on these kinds of issues. Do you, do you see a connection there? Absolutely. Uh, the, the, the average American is saying we don't need to take any chances. Uh, and uh, when Donald Trump says uh, we're going to ban people, we're going to ban certain people. In this case, he's, he's saying Muslims uh, because we've got to figure things out. And then he says they, they hate us. Now, if you just look at that, that, that statement, uh, Islam hates us, it sounds ridiculous and it sounds racist because you're saying that 1.6 billion people hate us. We know that's not true. But I go back to what I was saying earlier. The average person, whether they're right, middle, uh, left, whatever. The average, the average American doesn't believe that when you make blanket statements like that, they're accurate in a court of law. But where the feelings are in the heart, the average person is saying, yeah, the guy's got a point, and nobody else is saying that. Yeah. Nobody in power is saying that. And so how about allowing someone who says what the powerless are saying, what ordinary people are saying, how about giving that guy some slack? And I'm not here suggesting that I want to vote for him or I'm, that I'm looking forward to him becoming president. I'm simply saying that we owe the people who listen to our broadcasts on News Talk 770, we owe them the benefit of understanding how people really react in the real world. Otherwise, we could just call ourselves a university station and just discuss things from an academic perspective. Yeah, I hear you. I, I just... I feel dirty, and I'll tell you why, because when Justin Trudeau was telling the middle class just how bad they've got it in Canada and how his economic policies were going to fix everything, I was on this radio station saying, I can't believe people are gobbling that up. And it's not getting us anywhere. I mean, those tax cuts don't pay for themselves, and uh, we live in a time when the middle class has been doing better than, than ever before. 
And so for someone to come along and say it's broke needs to be fixed, I just thought to myself, well, here we go. We've got a politician who's spinning a message in such a way that it's a siren song and people are going to go for it. And, I, and it concerns me that Donald Trump, populist that he is, the fact that he's, his rhetoric reflects what's, uh, uh, what's being said in bar rooms. Um, you know, when he talks about how we're going to shut uh, shut Muslims out of the country, what's that going to do for the intelligence community who's using fantastic resources in in the Middle East to to try and keep America safe? But you know, people don't. I don't know if people look at that. They don't. Uh, they, they they do not go beyond uh, the headline, and if the headline somehow resonates with what they're feeling, I mean, the, the Justin thing is a is a classic example. Nobody could really look you in the eye during that campaign and suggest that there was anything about him or his plan that was really going to elevate uh, income security for the average middle-class person in Alberta or B.C. or Quebec or anywhere else. But, you know, the the, the pollsters will tell you, and I was talking to Bricker last night of, of Ipsos, and he was saying when a country is in a mood for a change, you know, uh, some of these other things they talk about really don't matter. And Canada was really in a mood. Overall, there was a critical mass that wanted change, and Justin Trudeau represented change. And right now in America, they want change, and Donald Trump represents change. And so everything else, all these other lines, as dangerous as they may be, if they're ever put into policy, as sickening as they may be and revolting as they may be for us to listen to, when people want to change, they just do it. And, you know, in, in real life, I, I've seen situations, and we all have, where somebody gets so fed up with their job, they just quit. They just quit. And then they find out that the next job that might be available for them isn't nearly as good, but there was this motivation to quit. And people do this with, with houses. People sell perfectly good homes uh, to move to a different home in a different neighborhood, and then they have regrets about that for all sorts of reasons. But the point is we are very mood-centric. We're very feeling-centric. It, it, it happens at all levels of society. And that's why I think it's very, very important for us to understand uh, that, that feelings matter. And the feeling right now in the United States, whether we like it or not, is to be much more insular and to give the rest of the world the big finger. And it's Donald Trump's big finger that really represents where most people in America are right now, whether they say it publicly or not. At the ballot box, that's what they're saying. He's got big fingers, we hear. (laughs) (laughs) Charles, hey, we're going to let you go, pal. Thanks so much for your time with us today. Thank you so much, and thank you for not calling me daddy. Ah, yeah. Well, (laughs) Well, it's Uncle. It's Uncle Chuck, right? All right, that's Charles Adler. Uh, Catch him on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Canada Talks Channel 167. Our thanks, and I look forward to that, uh, that bourbon whiskey next to you one day. You bet. All right. There you go, Charles Adler. com as well. Listen, we got to take a break here. We're back with more Kincaid and Breckenridge right after this. So some interesting thoughts from Charles Adler on what's happening south of the border. And I, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems hard at this point to envision how Donald Trump is going to be stopped, at least in, in the primary. I think when you look at the broader numbers, his, his, neg- you know, his negatives amongst the population at large, how he pulls directly up against Hillary, it doesn't look good. I mean, he's he's defied logic and defied the pundits thus far, so who knows? But the next big test is going to be next week. Arizona's uh, another winner-take-all state. Uh, that's coming up on the 22nd. So there's some big states, and there's some big states that are winner-take-all states. 
Trump's going to have to lose some of those. Otherwise, he gets to 1,200 and well, whatever it is, 1,200, whatever. and 31 or something like that. Something like that. And then he's a nominee. Now, if not, uh, things get interesting, right? And the way it works is you win a state and those delegates are committed to you. They go to the, the convention and they have that basically first ballot vote. And if no one has a majority, then those delegates are freed up. And then things get interesting. So that could happen. And somebody else could get enough votes from delegates to win the nomination. Can I play this clip of Donald Trump, by the way? This was uh, this morning. I believe it was on CNN. And uh, he was asked about that possibility of, of getting to the convention, being close, but just short of that majority and seeing somebody else win the nomination. I think we'll win before getting to the convention, but I can tell you, if we didn't, and if we're 20 votes short, or if we're, if we're, you know, 100 short, and we're at 1,100 and somebody else is at 500 or 400, because we're way ahead of everybody, I don't think you can say that we don't get it automatically. I think it would be, I think you'd have riots. I think you'd have riots. You know, we have, we're, I'm representing a tremendous, many, many millions of people. In many cases, first-time voters. These are people that haven't voted because they never believed in the system. They didn't like candidates, et cetera, et cetera, that are 40 and 50 and 60 years old. And they've never voted you, before. Many, many of those people, many Democrats, many Indians coming in. That's what the big story is, really, Chris. I mean, the really big story is how many people are voting in these primaries. The, the numbers are astronomical. Now, if you disenfranchise those people and you say, well, I'm sorry, but you're 100 votes short, even though the next one is 500 votes short, I think you would have problems like you've never seen before. Well, I think... I think it would. I think bad things would happen. I really do. I believe that. I wouldn't lead it, but I think bad things would happen. That's the best part. <laughs> oh, you'd have riots. You'd have be crazy. You'd be blood in the street. I mean, I wouldn't want that, but that's what would happen. Well, yeah. I mean, he's walking a fine line there. But look, there there would be. There are a lot of people who are passionate about him would not be happy. It, it would be odd, given that John Kasich is one one state, a single state. Like right now, for for John Kasich to to get to twelve hundred and win the, the nomination, he would have to win over a hundred percent of the delegates <laughs> before the convention, right? So I, I get the point that here you have someone who's won all these states, won all these primaries, and then someone like John Kasich somehow ends up as the nominee. You, you, you yeah, I mean, you could see how some people would say, "Well, wait a second, wait a second, why why did we vote then?" But the rules are the rules, and someone only gets the nomination by winning a majority of votes uh, amongst the delegates. That's how it works. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty fascinating times. I, I kind of want Donald Trump uh, to to score the touchdown here and see what it looks like to have him square off uh, in the real debates against somebody who can really sling some mud and has a big political machine behind her. Because I think, I mean, am I kind of putting the cart before the horse here and and suggesting that Hillary's going to be the nominee? I don't. I don't think so. I think that's a safe, yeah, safe assertion at this point. Yeah. So you know, to see what that race would look like, and to see uh, you know how America's issues are framed up in that context, I think when the chips are really down, uh, will be pretty fascinating to watch. So at, at this point, I'm, I'm off my. I'm I'm done with reading articles on websites like Vox that talk about why Donald Trump can't win, or listening to the next special interest group come up with a YouTube video about what a horrible person Donald Trump is. Now I'm just saying, all right, fait accompli, it's going to happen. Donald Trump is the GOP candidate. Let's see what this looks like for the next couple months. Well, you had Florida's governor come out today and say, you know, Republicans got to get behind this guy. Republicans need to unify. And so that's going to be the competing debate here, I think, in the coming weeks. Republicans just put aside it all, get behind the guy who's probably going to be the nominee or, 
you know, does he need to be stopped at any cost? We're going to pause for the 1030 News. We'll open up the phone lines after 1030. We can talk uh, Trump. We can talk Nenshi and lawsuits and fundraising. We can talk Pick-A-Pop, 974-8255. You're in control. We're back after this. All right, I'm Roger. That's Rob. It's lunchtime soup. Today is uh, Manhattan clam chowder. That's the disappointing that the, one. Uh, the creamy one or the tomato-y the, the one? The red one. The red one. Yeah. That's okay. the one when it's on the menu, you go, oh, is that the red one or the white one? And then they go, the red one. And then you go, oh, um, going to have the uh, Both are good. roast beef sandwich. No, that is not equal. Not equals at all. Hmm. No, I didn't say equally good, but... I, you know, hey, it's it's good. If it's done right, it uh, the red one's fine. The uh, that it's the Caesar of clam chowders. Nobody ever orders a clam milkshake, by the way. I think that would be the sort of thing. Can I just get a clam milkshake at Peter's? Um, we're going to talk the, this half hour about uh, a storied movie franchise. And the last time that we were discussing it, it was probably a couple of years back after the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was made, and we were discussing how uh, they've ruined, absolutely ruined the Indiana what Jones movies. What year was movies. that, by the way? You know, you know what? It's I've tried to put the entire experience of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull uh, out of mind because it really took something that I loved as a child and put it on the floor and stepped on it in front of me and broke it into a bunch of pieces, and then sent me running from the room crying. It was uh, 2008. Right. Uh, so I thought it was a little bit longer than that, but okay. So it's it's relatively recent, 2008, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And, you know, they, they cashed in on the name then. It, it made a lot of money. Nobody liked it, apparently. It was but people, a terrible movie. People went to see it. So I, I do wonder what's changed or why they're doing the fifth one. They've announced yesterday... Uh, Spielberg is back. Harrison Ford is back. Indiana Jones is back. The fifth Indiana Jones. I don't know what they're going to call it, uh, but it will come out in 2019. The the same year, by the way, that Harrison Ford turns 77. What? Wow. Is uh, I'll tell you what will get me to this movie, and and I'm I mean this like I was like first night. Uh, opening night, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. That's how much I wanted to see the movie. And I was I was telling people who would poo-poo, they would poo-poo the, uh, uh, the Last Crusade. I, I would say to them, you, be quiet. That was a great movie. It was fun. We had fun watching that movie. Sean Connery was outstanding in that movie. And those people said that that movie was terrible, that Indiana Jones stopped being good after the Temple of Doom. Like as soon as the, the credits rolled on Temple of Doom, that's when Indiana Jones lost its magic. That's what they said. Um... They, then they made Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. The only good thing, I'm trying to get in this practice. My mom said, Roger, try to say something nice about something. Uh, it had Karen Allen in it. And I will go to this movie if Karen <laughs> Allen is in this movie. But I'm, I'm telling you right now, I have a, I, I have a strong urge to not have anything to do with this Indiana Jones movie because they've ruined Indiana Jones by making that last movie. It's a cash grab. Well, but I mean, that, okay, that was a bad movie. I didn't see it myself, just as well. But I mean, people didn't like the Star Wars prequels either. Right. That didn't stop people from going to see The Force Awakens. And generally, people seem to really like The Force Awakens. And they're now excited yet again about the subsequent Star Wars movies that are coming. So, I mean, it all comes down to whether this is going to be good in the first place. And hopefully they've, they've learned a lesson from the last movie that people care about this franchise. Uh, people want to see a good Indiana Jones movie. I think there's an issue that, well, you know, the, the Harrison Ford, I mean, he's still a great actor, but he can't do what he did in, in 1981. I mean, part of the appeal of Indiana Jones was just, you know, the nature of the character. 
we are assuming, by the way, that Indiana Jones is going to go on an adventure in this movie of some sort. It we could well help. be that he's just doing a lecture. He's like brought in as a he's a professor emeritus now at the uh, university, and uh, he's just going to talk about uh, the the Temple of Doom. Well, it was not, it was. <laughs> It was weird. There was a guy took a heart out of a chest, and I couldn't stomach that for much. But I didn't lose my hat, and that's what counts. Um, so this is the point, and I'm glad you brought me out of my rant and into the point of, of this segment, okay? Because you mentioned The Force Awakens, and the trouble with um, making three more Star Wars movies was that uh, George Lucas couldn't be involved, so they, they took care of that issue. But they knew, Disney knew, that we can't make the same mistake that George Lucas made with that horrible uh, episode one, uh, Phantom Menace, because it ruined what Star Wars was for the people who were really excited about it. Uh, now, I know it was good for kids. Kids love that movie. Kids love Jar Jar Binks. Like, they couldn't get enough of the Jar Jar Binks. But for those of us who are nostalgic about it, we loathed that movie, and rightfully so. And so they have to strike the balance between making it relevant and fun for a new audience who's going to be discovering Star Wars for the first time and being true to the people who have already spent hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on this franchise. And so they went out, they got J.J. Abrams. Here's a guy who doesn't screw things up. Let's get him. Because mm-hmm. J.J. Abrams did the same thing with Star Trek, the other star franchise. And he knew, he's like, look, if we're going to reboot Star Trek and totally reboot Star Trek, We've got to be true to the people who think that it's like Captain Kirk, Spock, it's logic, it's all of these, this stuff that made Star Trek so awesome. So have we learned the mistakes, or is this new Indiana Jones movie going to be more like the Ghostbusters movie, which is really upsetting people? Well, that's a reboot, though. Right. So I don't know. Is there a difference? You know, look, part of the argument is here that, that Hollywood just keeps going back to the same well over and over again. Uh, so this is Indiana Jones 5. As opposed to, you know, starting over, rebooting it, casting somebody else's Indiana Jones and, and telling a new story about a young Indiana Jones or, or doing Raiders of the Lost Ark all over again. So this is a continuation of the series. It's kind of like how Rocky got to Rocky Six. That's basically what's happening here. I mean, uh, Rocky and Rocky Balboa, he was old and you know, they were telling a different kind of story. And, and maybe that's what this is going to be. So do people, does it still resonate with people? Do people still want to see this? If you loved Raiders of the Lost Ark, you're not going to get the same kind of movie here, or are you? You see what people are doing on our text message board? They're sending us the name of the movie, Indiana Jones and the Comfortable Chair. They're <laughs> <laughs> cracking me up. But, but that's my that's kind of goes to my point, though, right? I mean, like, people <laughs> love this franchise. They don't want to see it meddled with they don't want to see it messed up by, by yet another movie well is it a way of passing a torch to, to something else it'll be above. like a well hopefully not him yeah. but some kind of spin-off uh i, I don't want to give away what happened in, in the, the force awakens but is it possible that that we would see uh indiana jones meet his demise in in this this movie do people want to see that would people be upset by that indiana jones and the crusade of the geriatrics <laughs> oh man, keep them coming. It's too funny. Um, yeah, all right, let's get to the phones here. Uh, Peter, Peter's called in. Uh, Peter, what do you think about this upcoming Indiana Jones movie? Is it, does it interest you? Is it something that, that you think will be uh, fantastic, or do you think they're just kind of going to wreck a great franchise with another cash grab? Well, I'll watch it and make my decision after that. I'm not sure what it'll do. 
Yeah. But uh, I got the piece of trivia there for you. Harrison Ford was 30 years old when he rolled that 55 Chevy in American Graffiti. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. He's, he wasn't a young buck when he got his start, was he? No. <clears throat> Everybody else was, but he wasn't. Right. Hey, th- thanks for the call, Peter. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, Harrison Ford was born July 13th, 1942. <laughs> okay, we got to take a break while I regroup here. I'm sorry, but... Indiana Jones and the Walking Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Hey, by the way, he's married uh, still, isn't he, to Callista Flockhart? He was born twenty-two years after he was. See, I'm, cra- I'm getting cracked up by the by the our good audience here, man. But somewhere in here, there's a conversation about like <laughs> the, the the Ghostbusters thing when it came out last last year that they were going to cast four women in it. It really upset people because that was like a part of their childhood. This was like a brand that they really, really cared about. So for them to take it and kind of put a, a, an entirely, completely different spin on it, I mean, people feel like these these film properties are sacred and shouldn't be meddled with. So I'm trying to tap into that, but instead people are just splitting my sides with hilarious. Well, but you know, when does a when does a franchise become sacred? Right? I mean, were people saying that when they made Temple of Doom? You can't make another Indiana Jones. Raiders of the Lost Ark is something sacred and people love it. You can't make another one. People were glad they made another one. People were glad that three Star Wars movies got made. Right. So is three the limit? You can make three of a franchise and you better stop there or people are going to get mad? I think if people like a franchise and you still keep giving them something they enjoy, then you're not violating any anything sacred. You're, you're giving people what they want. All right. Let's, let's take a break right here and ponder that question. And... <laughs> Uh, I'll read the text messages as we go to break here. But someone has, someone has written an email in about uh, the James Bond uh, component to all of this. We'll, we'll get to that in just a second. It's King Kid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. I see goosebumps. Instant goosebumps. Yeah. That and Rocky. You know, and I just, it was so cool. I was just in Disneyland, as you know, and I'd never been on the Indiana Jones ride. Man, it was awesome. It was awesome. That's what part of why I think they're doing this another ride out of it like all the merchandising and stuff that's going to go around well i think they're smart enough to realize look i mean people like these franchises right i mean star wars did so well you can't go wrong with betting on something bankable like this and yeah i'm sure they'll they'll get all kinds of mileage out of it okay gonna take jim's phone call here okay okay hey jim uh thanks for phoning in i just if i'm giggling in the background forgive me the te- no worries. The texts people are sending are really fun. Uh, I guess the thing is, is that if they can capture the nostalgia, it, it, you know, these some of these franchises are going to turn out to be like Buicks, and they're, they're going to try and revive them. But you know what? Maybe it's just dead. But I got to say, with Creed, uh, they they really did capture the old guy passing on his knowledge to the young guy. Right. And a lot of us, when we first seen Rocky, were young, and now we've grown. And many of many of I'll, I'll go to the men and the males that that probably enjoy that movie are feeling a lot of those things now, passing on their experiences and trying to 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 to, to bring somebody new into 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 the the, the 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 challenges of life. And if they can't do that, then it will die. Um. Yeah. I mean, if I were to argue that, and I'm not trying to, but if I were to just play devil's advocate, which Rob, you're totally allowed to do, by the way. Um, I would say to you, Jim, like that that showing your kids, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom, like that preserves that sort of legacy. But 
No, I, I get what you're saying, and, and I, I like how you brought Creed into it, because that's like some people call that, you know, another Rocky or blah, blah, blah. But you're right. That kind of takes this old legacy of films and puts it, frames it in a different light for a contemporary audience, right? Yeah, exactly. Because, because if, 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 what it is is that a lot of us grew up with Rocky and, and Rambo and all of that kind of stuff with, with, with Sylvester. Because you're, you're talking about the actor. Right. And, mm-hmm. and Sylvester Stallone being an old actor now, too, he, he set him, uh, I, I thought he did a fantastic job in Creed. And, and, and he really, the whole movie was, 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 was how, where, where everybody who enjoyed all of that was is where they are in their lives today, probably. Yeah. No, it's a really good call, Jim. Really appreciate that. And and, and I bet you Jim's the kind of guy who was frustrated by Rocky Four, right? Where it went from, like, Rocky, which is a great movie, and then in Rocky Four, it's just kind of ridiculous, you know, that all he's in the Soviet Union, and they, the crowd turned on and their w- fighters. won the started, Cold War. Yeah, they started chatting Rocky, like, never seen that. It's really quite comical to watch. But, of course, Rocky Four needed to happen for Creed to happen, because, of course, Apollo Creed, spoiler alert, uh, dies in Rocky Four. What? Oh yes, it's it's awful. I remember someone dying in the ring. Are you telling me that was Creed's dad? Uh, yes, I'm, that's what I'm telling you. Now, so Rocky Four is still fun to watch just because it's bad in an enjoyable way. I mean, Rocky Five was just uh, just a dumpster fire and should really never be spoken of. <laughs> uh, but no, I get. It. But I thought Rocky Balboa. I actually thought that was well done. I wouldn't say it's the greatest Rocky movie, and it seemed really odd that they're going to bring Rocky back and he's like 60 years old or whatever he was, but. It was okay. That was an interesting story they told, and I, I was okay that they did it. I, I enjoyed the movie. You know, the funny thing is with Ghostbusters, right? They're doing this reboot. Yeah. But for a long time, uh, I think it was Dan Aykroyd and Ivan Reitman who were pushing to do a, a Ghostbusters three to bring them all back years after the fact, and it looked as though a few years ago so maybe that would happen. And it was Bill Murray who just basically kiboshed the whole thing, said, "I, I can't do it. I don't want to do it." There would be no Venkman. And you can't do it without him. But I don't know. Would people have rather seen the old characters come back and do another sequel? Or do people like the reboot, the starting over, the taking the concept and the franchise, but doing it differently, telling a new story? Yeah, uh, Bill Murray was out. uh, I believe Harold Ramis was otherwise indisposed as well for any uh, potential Hmm. for a Ghostbusters uh, remake or or sequel. Okay, um, really quickly, I'll just rattle some of these off before we're out of here today. Uh, Did you say we got to be out at like right now or? 28, okay, so we got, we got a little bit Two of time. Uh, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Assisted Living. Because <laughs> how old is he going to be when they shoot this? Like 77? Well, he'll be 77 when it comes out. I don't okay. know when they're going to start uh, shooting it. Indiana Jones in the Swiss <laughs> the Swiss Chalet Seniors Discount. <laughs> Indiana Jones and those kids next door. Indiana Jones and the Sponge Bath of Doom. Not sure about that. There's a market for that. I don't know if that's the film that I like. That's what I'd be concerned about. But uh, there's a there's a market for that. Uh, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Bifocals. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Legend of the Ten Dollar Buffet. Indiana Jones and the Damn Cat That Craps in the Flower Bed. <laughs> You know, it's funny because people are doing a lot of this on social media and leave it to the Guardian. They, they get offended about, about everything in the Guardian. <laughs> uh, the headline, Indiana Jones and the Tide of Ageism. Why such a reaction to the fifth film? 
The announcement of a new Indiana Jones movie uh, to be released when the lead actor is 77 has revealed an attitude to old age out of sync with society. Okay, I'm pretty sure that The Guardian was probably <laughs> on board with the idea of a 58-year-old Roger Moore as James Bond betting women half his age. Well, aren't these the same people who complain about how there's a double standard where someone like Harrison Ford can still be a leading man well into his 70s and you know female actors get put out the pasture when they turn like 30? Right. But apparently, this, you know, to, to make jokes about this is bad, too. I mean, <laughs> goodness. All right. Listen, um, we appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciated it. And we tried really hard in that radio segment. But you people who texted in funny titles of the Indiana Jones movie totally derailed me. So I, I remain faultless in this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we will, Duly noted. We will, uh, we'll, we'll end it here today. Daniel Smith is in after the news to 1230. We'll be back tomorrow morning at uh, 930. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770.